So the last of the Ten Commandments, and we get to coveting, which really just means, doesn't it, to desire something, to, to want it, to crave it, to hunger after it. And to be told not to covet or desire things is actually radically countercultural. I don't know if you've thought about this. It's radically countercultural. Think about it. The culture we live in encourages consumption with everything it's got, doesn't it? Advertising is everywhere. Uh, we get stuff pushed on us all the time. Even our leisure activities like Facebook are not actually a leisure activity. They're an advertising media to get us to want more, to buy more, to desire more. They're designed as vehicles for advertising and we're told to want more. Even ordered, aren't we? Some of the advertising goes so far as to say, want this, you need this, desire it. And if we don't know what we should want, we're given heaps of ideas. We're shown how much we're lacking and what we're missing out on with every image and every expression. Toy after toy is pushed on our kids. There's always another big new thing. We're shown how our lives can be complete our relationships happier, our lifestyle more balanced, if only we desire and buy and consume. <coughs> In fact, advertising drives capitalism. Capitalism drives our economy, which drives our national success. Our success as a nation is often measured in things like GDP, isn't it? What we produce, what we buy, what we spend. Uh, there was a book, I don't know if you've read a classic novel by Aldous Huxley called A Brave New World, where it, it, it wasn't brave, it was awful. It was this awful world where the whole economy is designed to consume, consume, consume. And when it was uh, written so long ago, it seemed like this awful future. But now maybe it seems like it's on us. A constant pressure to want more. We measure our success as a nation by how much we consume. Which economy is the strongest, the biggest? Who spends the most? No one asks, have we spent enough? Have we got enough? Have we made enough? This commandment, not to desire, is bad for the economy. <laughs> have you thought about it? this commandment? bad for the economy. It's bad for the nation if we view our, our nation's success as the economy. People who are interested in keeping this commandment are going to cost jobs. I'm really selling it, aren't I? <laughs> it does go against our culture's push to consume, consume, consume. But I wonder if our culture is really damaging itself. I wonder if the material things that we have are actually making our lives worse than ever rather than better. Uh, when we went away in the outback uh, relatively recently, we took some kids' stories along with us. And one of the kids' stories um, was about this little kid. It, it struck me by how deeply it understood our culture. It, uh, one of the stories in it, uh, this kid goes into a new culture and it's a culture that had decided to go with the simple life. And he sort of bagged it as someone who'd come from the West. They'd got rid of technology. 
of excessive comfort, of all the stuff that's in our houses and in our lives. And they did it in order to reduce complexity. The more stuff we get as a culture, the more we have to do to maintain it. Yes, we've got air conditioning, but as someone who's recently invested in air conditioning and not a small one, we have to work harder to buy it. And once we've got it, we have to pay it off. We have to maintain it. Our power bills go up, so we buy solar to offset them. And then that needs to be cleaned and maintained, so we work longer hours and do more study to get a better job. And then we have to travel further for that job, and so we need a better car. And with a bigger car, uh, with a bigger income, comes a larger house, which means more cleaning and more maintenance. More, more, more. 80 years ago or so, we were promised that a washing machine, a vacuum cleaner, a dryer, a dishwasher, an answering machine, a computer, and now a smartphone, and whatever's next on the scene was going to make our lives easier. We'd all be semi-retired by 35. There'd be so little to do because of the robots that no one would know what to do with ourselves, and we would struggle with boredom but yet our lives have become more and more complex. And so maybe countercultural is a good thing. Maybe coveting is more of a problem than we thought. But wherever we land, we need to see that coveting runs deep. There's our first point. Coveting runs deep. And I don't highlight this to make us all feel bad. Scripture's just being honest with us. It's telling us the realities of the human condition. Skipping over this doesn't make us any less true because we do covet and we covet as habit. We do it every day without thinking. We covet like we breathe. As I drive past the car yard, uh, I see the perfect paintwork of the brand new cars and I want it. It makes me uh, feel bad about the car that I've now owned for six weeks. I covet something new. As we see the beautiful people on TV or in the magazines, desire flickers in our hearts. Whether we want that person or whether we want to be that person, we covet. As we see a successful life or a successful business down the road or a career or family, we become dissatisfied with the life or the business acumen or the family that we've been given. And maybe it's something different for you than for me. I get ute envy. I don't know if anybody else gets ute envy. Uh, we uh, went to the Outback recently and we went out, our family, in an old 2007 Ranger that doesn't look, well, it looks like it's a 2007, 12 years old. And you go out there and everybody else is getting around in the 2018 or 2019 uh, Ranger, which is fantastic colours and all these new features and it's so big and bad and on the back of it it's being towed, a $150,000 caravan and they rock up and they roll out with all their stuff and I just go, man, wouldn't that be easy? Why have I got this old thing? Wouldn't it be great to have something new? There's a few different categories of things that we, we covet. We can cover stuff. This is, this is in, the, in the verse... Uh, where it says, you know, the house, the ox, the donkey. We covet stuff. 
Uh, for me, it's, it's often tech envy. I want the, the nice sound bar that's going to make our TV sound good. I want the Android watch, the latest laptop. I envy stuff. Maybe you envy, uh, maybe you have spouse envy in a text that's the neighbor's wife. You envy a more dependable husband, a better looking wife, a spouse that's more available. You can have income envy. I, I see that in the servants in the, in the passage. Enough, an income enough to be able to afford servants to have a lifestyle that's better than what you have. We covered an income that will prevent us from worrying, covered a lifestyle that will enable us to eat out, not worry about money, just buy the things that you need, cover better holidays and travelling the world. Do you cover washboard abs? A smaller nose, a smaller butt, a bigger butt. We can cover all sorts of different things. Men can cover women's looks, but so can women. I wish I looked like her. I wish I had her face or her hair or her body or whatever it is. We even covet people's God-given giftedness. Their artistic talent, their musical talent, their business success and skill. Covet their social skills. Do you covet their friendships that they're so easily able to build? Covet their athletic giftedness. Lastly, maybe you covet family. More children. Less children, better children. Anything can be the object of our desires. And covet is talking about desire. But it's actually a desire for inappropriate things that's highlighted here. Some things you're allowed to desire, aren't you? You're allowed to desire your own spouse. It's in here, your neighbour's spouse is the thing that's prohibited. Your own, you're allowed to desire. You're allowed to desire food when you're hungry. You're allowed to desire children. But it's when that desire becomes inappropriate that the trouble starts. And the primary way that it's inappropriate is if your heart's desire does not belong to you. All the things listed in this commandment belong to someone else, don't they? It's the things that belong to the neighbour that shouldn't be coveted. And the reason that it's inappropriate is that at the most fundamental level, your desire for something that's not yours is actually a dissatisfaction with the provision of God. Okay, That's what's wrong at the heart of it. Your desire for something that doesn't belong to you is a dissatisfaction with what God has provided for you. And if you're dissatisfied with what God's given you, you're exposing the underlying attitude of your heart that God isn't good and that the things he gives you aren't good. That's what's going on in our hearts. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Uh, I have... Uh, mixed memories of Christmases as a child. They were always so exciting leading up to them. And then you open your presents and they're often less than exciting than what you wanted. Uh, at a very early age, I learned that even if you got a present that you don't like, you cover it up. 
You cover up the fact that you don't like it. You pretend that you do. Uh, a big smile, supposed to cover your face. A uh, thankful body language. A big hug as you describe all the wonderful things that you enjoy about the present that you don't like at all. And maybe I was so good at this that uh, I was really convincing because I seem to get those presents quite frequently. Uh, the socks and undies at eight years old. And the reason why we cover it up is because if we look down on the gift... We look down on the giver, don't we? If you pour scorn on what someone has given you, you're pouring scorn on the one who gives it to you. And this is what it's like when, we don't, when we're not satisfied and when we desire things that don't belong to us. And so, there's even a way in which desiring something that isn't owned by someone else, that isn't owned by anyone, can still be a problem. And that's when your desires, your good desires, start to become a dissatisfaction with what God has put in front of you. Desiring things that nobody owns or imagined things, maybe. I, I know what this is like. Maybe the most painful one in my life was, was when I was still single. I remember what it's like to desire a wife and yet for years have God leave you in your singleness. Is it a problem to desire a wife? Well, no. Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. I mean, you single guys can write that down. You find a wife, you find a good thing. But it's wrong when that desire becomes discontentment with God. And when we start calling out God for what we're owed. Is it a problem for us as a church to desire more people? More finances? No. But if we become disgruntled with God's provision and resentful at his timing, we're lacking contentment and satisfaction in a good and a generous God. And it was discontentment, wasn't it, uh, that drove Eve to eat the fruit? Have you thought about this? They were in a place, weren't they, where God had given them everything that they needed. A designer garden, a designer spouse, designer work ahead of them to do. And the serpent came along and created a need that they didn't have before. Sounds very much like advertising. When you eat it, he says... Something's going to change in you. Your, your eyes are going to open. And you won't have to put up with merely being what God created you to be. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And all of a sudden, Eve is no longer satisfied with what God had made her to be. And together with her husband, they view God for the first time, as an inadequate provider. And the world is forever corrupted. And we have never been satisfied since. Because there's no end to the human desire, is there? Have you noticed this? There's no end. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 7 says, All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. How, how deep is that? How deep's that? All streams run to the sea, 
but the sea is not full. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We never have enough. Ultimately, this commandment is about satisfaction. And the sea never fills, though all the rivers of the world flow into it. And if that's the case, how are our hearts ever going to stop being hungry for more? Well, our first point was that coveting runs deep. And our last is that because our desires will never be filled, our satisfaction needs to come from somewhere else. All throughout scripture we're told, aren't we, that God is supposed to fulfill the role of being our satisfaction. Let me read a couple of passages. Psalm 107 says, For he, that's God, satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 22 says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those that seek him shall praise the Lord. Psalm 16 In the presence, in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And finally, Jesus speaks. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God satisfies. Which is all well and good. And you've heard it all before, haven't you? But what does it mean? How are these souls that are never filled by all the stuff that they desire supposed to be satiated, satisfied by God? When does it happen? How does it happen? Well, as for the when, the answer is at least in part now. Through a number of things. Let me open up for you. Through the work that he gives us, through the resources that he equips us with, through the church that we have, and through the comfort that he himself gives us. Let me open up those four things. We need to remind ourselves of God's complete goodness in these things. Let me start with work. Have you noticed the need God has placed in us to work? There's something about us that needs to engage with something significant. We get bored, don't we, unless we turn our hands to something, unless we get to contribute to something. We have a deep need to accomplish something in our lives. And and I feel like I say this all the time, but it's true. Even the most simplest, most meaningless task in our culture's eyes (coughs) is given awesome eternal weight as we do it well for Jesus. Maybe you tend to feel dissatisfied with your career, doing the same old thing every week. Maybe there's not a lot of challenge left. And if I stopped doing this, would anybody really miss it? Will this mean anything in a hundred years? Well, you need to know that God's placed you there. You get to be an ambassador for Jesus in the way that you work. When you do that God-given task well, as an ambassador for Jesus, that does become meaningful in a hundred years or in a million. 
Be satisfied with the work that God has given you. Talk about resources too. Often this comes down to income, right? We could always do with more. Couldn't you be more generous if God was more generous with you? If you were more gifted, you could help more, contribute more, make a bigger difference in this world for Jesus. God's equipped you exactly enough to do what he wants you to do and do it well. We've been resourced with enough. You don't need any more or he would have given it to you. Be satisfied with the resources you have. Church. Now, honestly, I think things are pretty good at the hub. Maybe I've got a skewed perspective. Uh, But there's a wonderful culture of love and affection at the hub. People are willing to chip in and try out new things. There's a whole heap of unity here amongst very different people. But things could always be better, couldn't they? Maybe it's the music. No offence to any of the musicians. Finances aren't great. Couldn't we grow faster? I'd love to be less worn out, wouldn't you? Why does the preaching always miss that? Or always have to go there? Why couldn't it be just 20% better? God's blessed us with his people. And our imperfections are what he uses to grow us, sanctify us, and use us in this world. Be satisfied with the people around you as we all strive together to be better disciples of Jesus. Lastly, God satisfies us with himself and with the comfort he gives us. And this is not just often the future in heaven. Really important to understand this. Jesus is to be our joy here and now. There is such great delight to be found in getting to know him. He's a real man who walked this earth and his character is enough to encourage you through the hard parts of life. Jesus is our hope. Because the hope of more stuff doesn't help us, but the hope of an eternity with the generous provider of all things and hearts that wants what he gives is something to look forward to. Jesus is our end goal. He's what we orient our whole lives towards. And when we seek him, when we ask for him, when we knock on his door, he always gives us what we seek. His love is enough. His attention is the only attention that you actually need. His leadership will bring you through the worst towards the best. His comfort never grows out or grows weary. His instructions always perfect and never hides the hard realities. This culture sends us on a fool's errand. Have you heard that phrase before? Uh, A fool's errand is what, uh, as tradies, we used to get the apprentices to go on. Uh, You know, 
sending off the apprentice to go to the store and get a long wait, or the, the, the bucket of checkered paint, or the you know, bag of sparks, I don't know what it was in, in your culture. I don't know what they do in offices, what's, what's, what the joke is in offices. But those are fool's errands. You go off and you, you're seeking things that will never be there, will never satisfy, will never be meaningful. And when we're told to seek more stuff, we're chasing a breath. And you might somehow be cashed up enough to afford it all. But you won't be rich when you get it. You'll be left unsatisfied until you point your life in the direction of Jesus. And with him as your hope and your joy and your goal, you will grow in your satisfaction as you grow closer to him. Until one day your goal arrives and your hope is reality and your joy is everlasting. That's our hope and that's our desire. Pray with me together. Lord, we want you to be our desire. We want Christ to be our hope and our joy and our end goal. But we know that our hearts often run after the fool's errands of this world. Lord, we need your help. Lord, would you place your spirit within us every day? Would you give us a desire for Jesus? Would you make him our, our hope and our joy and our goal? Would you bring him close to us, Lord? Bring his comfort close. Allow him to lead us. Allow him to convict us. Allow us to admire him in his, in his character and in the things he's done. We need your Holy Spirit's presence, Lord, to do this. Give us desires that are deeper and better and that will satisfy us as your people. For your glory's sake. Amen.